today on an all-new episode of the Enneagram Journey podcast. What you got there? Okay, I'll tell you, but you can't tell anyone. You you have to be really cool about this. Yeah, of course. These are mushrooms. It's a psychedelic drug. Makes you see weird things and feel happy for a few hours. Okay. Are you going to be cool? Oh, yeah, I'm totally cool about that. I, I have a lot of friends who do it, and they're willing to do it around me all the time because they know I'm so cool about it, and I don't judge them. So, you know, go ahead. Well, here we go. Yeah, that's what my friends say, too. Well, here we go. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Because I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. Crying. Acceptable at funerals and the Grand Canyon. Rage, poise, property rights, fish for sport only, not for meat. So much of my life has been, especially amongst Christians, a expectation that I need to move on or that if I just had faith, I would be healed. And that's That's changed over the years as I've become more bold in speaking the truth that I've encountered. Well, here we go with today's episode of the Enneagram Journey podcast with your Enneagram godmother, Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and I'll be along for the ride as always. Take this moment to catch your breath, light a candle, burn some sage to clear the atmosphere, and prepare yourself for time with today's guest, friend of the show, K.J. Ramsey, Enneagram 4, and author of The Book of Common Courage. This episode is beautiful. Blug before we get to Suzanne and K.J., LTM is now accepting applications for the 2024 Cohort Program. You might be able to hear the contemplative cohort in the background while I'm recording this, in fact. You can apply for the Anagram cohort, the contemplative cohort, or the family systems cohort, or apply for multiple. You'll find all of the information you need and the application and dates and expectations at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. A second plug, uh, Suzanne participated in two online summits recently, and it's not too late to check out either one of them. If you missed the Broken to Beloved Summit, It's not too late to access some great teaching from Suzanne and KJ and so many more. Have you experienced hurt, abuse, or trauma at the hands of the church or its leadership? Do you want to stop feeling hurt, isolated, alone, or even crazy? Do you want to learn to give language to your pain and hurt, to discover a path through the pain to healing and wholeness? Are you looking for a community of people who will hear and understand you? Learn how to manage your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors from the comfort of your own home, on your own schedule, with the Broken to Beloved Summit. You can still get the all-access pass, and you can find that link in the show notes and the show notes at theanagramjourney.com. If you missed the Gospel for Anagram Summit, featuring Suzanne, several friends of the Anagram Journey podcast, and many more, you can find more information and the link to the replay for that in the show notes and the aforementioned theanagramjourney.com. As always, Thank you for listening to the podcast and for your support of Suzanne and Life in the Trinity Ministry. Please leave a review and a rating when you have the time, and we hope that you enjoy today's conversation. Ever since our last, is this only the second time that we've recorded a podcast? Or no, well, we did the table thing, so that that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. And I told yeah. I told Whitney about the. I was like, I really like that what she talked about with the, the candles and resetting and everything. And so, yeah, that's our house now. She's got oh, the, good. the first time, one of the ones she got, I walked in, I was like, are, are you smoking weed? Like what happened here? <laughs> Cause it was a real heavy scent of that. Pungent. Yeah. And then she explained <laughs> it to me. Yeah. Palo Santo. That's, that's what we've got. And, um, some are, some of the varieties are better since like, smell than others but this one's pretty good you and I are building a friendship and we get to talk more than we used to and I've reread the first two books now in the context of that and I'm 
marking your new book, The Book of Common Courage, and I'm going to start with this question because we will never get all my questions in and all the things that I want to talk about in, and Joel wants to talk about stuff too. So I'm going to start with this. I thought, what a great title. And then finishing, I wrote in my journal, KJ's courage is not common. I think the desire for courage is common in all of us. I think after thinking about all that you've written and who you are as a woman and a therapist and an educator and all the things, y'all have done some really courageous things as a couple that cost you a lot. And I think people have rebellion, and I think people have stubbornness, and I think people have stick to and I think people have, I'll show you, and courage is a different thing from all of that. And I wondered, having been through your three books again, I wonder if people even know what courage is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me wants to refute what you said. <laughs> so, I'm just going to acknowledge that. Um, but we can set that part down. Um, but what courage is, I really like to start with what courage is not. So courage is not the absence of anxiety. Courage is not the presence of great bravery. It's not doing huge, big things and not feeling scared about it. Courage is actually risking to trust that you are worthy of love and respect and that you will be held and loved no matter what happens to you. So courage is something that we all can practice and that we don't have to possess in great measure to receive and participate in. And it is aimed at communion. Courage, a 14th century definition of courage is about holding the heart and letting the heart speak. Um, Courage is really about connection between the parts of us that are disconnected, including our connection to each other. It's gathering up that which has been separated. And that's the part where I feel the need to refute because what's common is that we hold courage in common, that I can only be courageous in my life because of the community around me, of the people who are willing to see me, um, including you, like you light a candle for me when I'm having a really terrible day or something big is happening like that actually matters that actually gives me strength um we don't have to summon the strength to do hard things in our lives on our own we love our way there with each other and that's exceedingly hard when the thing that you have to do is leave your community um and yet courage takes us into greater belonging so That is perhaps a bit uh, longer definition of courage than you were looking for, but. That's exactly what I was looking for. So just so you know, um, when I want you to talk, you always give me exactly what I'm looking for. (laughs) Sometimes I don't even know that that's what I'm looking for, but that's what Uh, you give me. Perfect. (laughs) I really want to talk about the new book, but I want to ask about something you said about community. Yeah. And having the courage to leave your community. Let's just real quick, everyone, KJ wrote a book on poetry and prayer called The Book of Common Courage, and now we're going to talk for an hour, and whatever it is might not be around that or whatever, and we'll, we'll come back to it and touch on it. Yeah, it's, I'm going to come back to it real quick, because it's, it's really great. So many people are leaving their communities. 
so many people are leaving their communities without a community to go to. Mm-hmm. So many people, are, as a result of that, are isolating. And I think without community, we end up fairly myopic and self-absorbed about, I get to do whatever I want to now. The difference in you and Ryan, in my understanding, a difference, is that you brought the best of your community with you when you left. Hmm. That's one thing. And the other thing is, we could look at that as they left you first. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the work and writing work, it's hard to write, in the new book, uh, which is the Book of Common Courage, is proof that you brought the best of that community with you. It seems to me that it's much easier if people leave their church community for them to leave church. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Like, lots of people are leaving church. Yeah. And they're not just leaving the community. They're leaving the teaching that was good, the wisdom that was there, because we're kind of an all-or-nothing bunch of folks now. Mm-hmm. That. Would you speak to that, please? Yeah, that the the dualistic thinking of it was either all bad or all good is exactly the thing that we have to shed from our old spirituality. So it is much harder <laughs> and more rewarding to let the people that we have loved and the communities of which we have been a part be a gradient of of goodness and grief and pain and possibility it's important to dare to see what was good um even as we name what was wrong and that is a major challenge, both intellectually and I think emotionally and physically to like dwell in the place where it's not either or that these people were evil and I had to leave. Um, but that like, yeah, there was the presence of evil and and I was loved and I was prayed for and we got to love people in a really beautiful way at that church. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, just where my mind's going. I love mushrooms. <laughs> I, uh, I am part of a mycological society. And so I get together with other mushroom nerds and go on forays into the forest during the warmer months when the mushrooms are alive. I've been, I'm in mushroom withdrawal right now. Um, And we, (laughs) we I have to say, I didn't know we were going to mushrooms, but I'm in. Just so I'm clear. Are we, (laughs) are we talking about like the kind my friend offered me on Saturday or, you know, we're not talking about that right now, but I'm not saying that that won't be talked about at some point. Okay. I just want for (laughs) the list. I'm sure the listeners, for the listeners, which one is it? And so, yeah, no, um, I find the forest fascinating and we walk through the forest and instead of going on a hike where you get from point A to point B and turn around, um, it's about slowing down and seeing what's there. And what I find is some of the places that I go to forage are places where I also go on normal hikes. And I know when I'm foraging, I am able to notice things that were always there that had never come to my attention before. There's beautiful, tiny little brown mushrooms. And there's like, I've sometimes seen these like purple ones that are (laughs) phallic shaped and like just all sorts of crazy stuff that my eyes were never drawn to before on the same hike on the same land where I've spent 
lots of hours in the past. And I bring that up because I think I'm in my own process of foraging through my story for what is good and not just what is broken for what is the, what are the beautiful parts that my attention didn't go to before? And the other thing that I'll say about, uh, leaving the church is I think that it's really important to have this conversation within the perspective of how trauma affects our bodies. And I, as a trauma therapist, I really believe that sometimes we do need to leave gathering in an institutional setting in order to regain safety in our bodies so that we can hear what's happening within our own bodies, that we can feel safe to connect with other members of the body of Christ in person um, and like grow the capacity of ourselves to exist in a community without being used by or crushed in that community. Um, and I think that the aim of why we leave and the way that we leave and the, the manner in which we leave um, and where we go after needs to be for the purpose of healing and wholeness. Um, and that nuances like the trajectory of, of where we're all headed. And I would love for more people to like have a vision for themselves of, I, I might be not going to church at all right now, but it's for the, it's for the, like it's for the room to give myself space to um, have greater safety with other human beings. And I think gathering together with any person in whom the spirit dwells is participating in the body of Christ in the church. Um, so those are three random things that I think all go together about this conversation. I think they all do too. Definitely go together. We've had lots of pastors talk to us about deconstructing and reconstructing, and Joe and I have decided we're going to do a, co- a cohort. Good. And um, one of the most important things that we're working toward, which you just touched on, is helping people leave a community, not just dealing with people who have left. Helping pastors leave ministry who have decided to, but helping them to do that well. What you have looking back is often wisdom. Kierkegaard says we live our lives forward, but we understand them looking back. And you certainly have wisdom in that contemplative understanding of past, present, and future, which I actually, you know, I think there's two sides to everything, and I actually think one of the gifts of the struggles that you have physically is that you have time to stop and look. And whether you want to stop and look or not, your body insists that you do that. And you know I don't want that for you. I Like I don't want that for you. And yet the wisdom that comes from the fact that you have to stop, I sometimes think about what what would life be like with the way you think and the gifts you have for communicating, written and orally, if you didn't have to stop? How fast would you be moving? Mm-hmm. This morning, I was laying on a bolster. It's now under my feet. But um, getting back to my centering prayer practice, and I felt like I've, I'm, what, a month and a half at the time of this recording, a month and a half from out from this book, this most recent book releasing. And I just felt this like deep, I'm out of rhythm. Like I, my body is out of rhythm with the like natural, slower pace of this earth that I so cherish. Um, And, you know, even though I, in the last month and a half, had had so many moments where I slow down and I look, um, I, I find myself having to like acknowledge that I speed up. I speed up naturally, mm-hmm. you know, 
I speed up too fast naturally. So I guess uh, I would be going way too fast. Yes, you would. <laughs> I would go way too fast because let's be honest, I probably still go way too fast, uh, even with the limitations that I have. Do you think that your story about the mushrooms is saying uh, this story, these mushrooms are speaking to me a lot and they're not those mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not right now. Not right now. I'm not closing the door on any future experience that you might have. Yeah, or that I'm just, I'm a therapist and psychedelic psychotherapy is showing some incredible things about he the healing of trauma. That's it. Just, I'll just put a pin in that someday we will explore it. <laughs> but yes, but the other mushrooms. Yes. Because you are aware of what you missed when you didn't slow down. I think in our culture pre and post COVID, it's courageous to slow down. Is that true? Oh, I so think so. Yeah, there's one tiny little poem in the book that says, sometimes rest is the most courageous work of all. And it's it's on this page where it's like, that's the only thing on the page. So you have to face it. <laughs> and I think that what we don't realize is that resting is actually major statement of trust and an act of trust because if you stop and you pause you're saying I'm I'm gonna be okay even if I am not constantly productive and like the world will continue my people will be okay and I will be okay if I pause it's this trust that you're not gonna miss out on an opportunity that you're that everything's going to be okay it's really a statement of everything's going to be okay and you know my diseases my disability requires me to choose rest like a, maybe a little bit more than the average person perhaps a lot more <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> um and it, it like for that part I'm grateful because I get to see over and over again like how the practice of trust is worth it because man like I have to cancel things all the time I have to choose to delay things or slow down or like not get to show up to do something with friends that I wish that I could um all the time and what I find is there's more time than I think like when I'm stressed, my sense of time is distorted. Mm. When I choose to rest, it's like I get to tap in to this other dimension of time, like Kairos time of like, there is an abundance here. And I look back at my life and even the publishing of this book. Um, and like, this was written during a whole year of way more intense health issues and there it was like written in little bits here and there when I could sit up and write and like when I got the first copy of the finished book I looked at it and I was like I don't know how this got written I don't know how this got finished because it wasn't like I just sat down and and made it happen I didn't have space in my life for that kind of writing and somehow it still got made. And I think the invitation in that story is that like, there's more time and space and resources than we believe and expect. And when we take the room to slow down and rest, and trust, like our efforts get strangely multiplied and um, more happens than we um, expect might. And like, you can still get a lot of shit done. Yeah, you can. In a small amount of time. Um, when you've like honored your body and and then you're coming at it from a place of trust instead of scarcity. So I don't even know how we got there, but. You, you mentioned trust a few times there. Mm -hmm. And. Could y'all talk some to the importance of like trust and discernment around being courageous? 
you know, using the example of church and pastors leaving and all that stuff. Well, some pastors, I assume, are either like, I'm staying and that's like that. I'm choosing to stay and that's courageous. I'm choosing to leave and that's courageous. And all the steps that, that get you to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you're getting at is that courage is actually a virtue in the service of wholeness and, an, and another synonym for wholeness is integrity. So courage is about connecting the disconnected parts of ourselves and our communities um, to be whole. So to bring together the mind, the heart, the body into wholeness, to not be a disconnected self trauma disconnects us. Um, we often will, will sever our sense of anything from the shoulders down, <laughs> like as a way of surviving, that's a disconnection that, um, well, has incredible, incredibly hard consequences for, for over a lifetime, but it's, it's a, it's a disconnection that makes it continually difficult to show up in our relationships with love rather than self-protection. And so the question isn't, should you, is leaving more courageous than staying or staying more courageous than leaving? The question is, am I currently whole? Like how disconnected am I in, in the context in which I live and the communities of which I am a part, are they contributing to the further severing of my heart, mind, and body? Or are they bringing me further into wholeness and integration? And, and is the way that I relate to the people around me contributing to their flourishing in their wholeness or their disintegration. And so we have to look at like the, the state of our own being. And some of those symptoms are going to be like, are you burnt out? Are you sick? Are you, um, are you experiencing like intense anxiety and depression? Like these are signals of our soul that we have experienced some severing between our minds hearts and bodies and we need to choose wholeness so courage is really just the practice of seeking wholeness and the way that that's going to manifest in whatever context we're in depends on what's been severed and what is uh what's reinforcing you living a disconnected life and what's giving you room to be more connected I love there that you said, because you said it in the opening to the book before the, the poetry part and the poetry and prayer, but about that courage is a practice. And mm-hmm. you mentioned it there. And then you also just talked about what's being severed. Um, I have a question for you, for both of you, but for different reasons. And yours mm-hmm. being uh Enneagram question. And I'll, I won't get this exactly right. You said like when your mind is disconnected from your body, and then you go to your heart to make that connection or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Can it be a different combination of those three that get So can it be when your mind is separated from your heart and maybe your body, you know, as a part of that uh, being whole, could it be a different thing being severed? And then my question to you, Suzanne, is at times, can that be Enneagram related based on the centers of intelligence and the Enneagram? Yeah, I love that question so much. I think that our various personalities and experiences in our families of origin contribute to the the our like kind of go-to inherent um patterns of responding to trauma. And so like my own um, way of my own patterns of trauma responses are going to be different than yours. Um, and my husband's responses to trauma are different than mine. You know, my husband is an Enneagram nine and he, from a more, um, we don't have to get into all of this, but a polyvagal, uh, perspective on the nervous system as a nine, 
his home away from home is dorsal vagal, a dorsal vagal state of shutdown. It's a, it's numbing. It's the numbing space. It's like he, when things are overwhelming and there's a lot of grief without the work he's doing to repattern that his norm will be to shut it down and to numb his sense of the sadness and the sorrow and the grief that is happening and has happened over his lifetime. I don't go to numbing as much. I will, I will exist in fight a lot more. And um, the, this, so my home away from home is more sympathetic nervous system state. And the symptoms of that are going to look different. Um, you can see it even in the activity of the diseases that I have of inflammation, like, and for him, his own struggle with depression, there's this like congestion of grief, ungrieved grief. Um, so even us as examples, as a four and a nine in a marriage, um, I think that our, our trauma patterns will be, uh, our trauma response patterns are very related to like, what's your personality and what was the, what was modeled to you of how you're allowed to deal with hard things in your family. Um, there's, there's so much more there. Yeah, there is. I, I would, my language for everything that you just said about nineness is uh, a desire to be unaffected by life, which is really their passion, mm-hmm. right? That's their sin right there. Yeah. And they're good at it. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't show up front, but it gets you. It ultimately gets you. And I love all the way that you talked about that. And I'm always so aware that I have unending amounts to learn from you. Here's one for y'all. I'm sorry, you keep going. Well, the only other thing I was going to say about fours is fours demand to be dealt with one way or another. (laughs) My husband would laugh so hard right now if he was in this room. Will you tell him I said that? I will tell him that you said that. (laughs) Hopefully he'll give this a listen. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, maybe he will. <laughs> fours just demand to be listened to. And yep. nines don't think it's okay to assert themselves. Yep. And yet, you two uh, together are walking this journey that affects you very differently. And that you respond to very differently. Because, in part, you understand the difference. But more because you know bodily in all the ways you know that some part of you is dying if you don't do something different. Yep. Joel, in terms of head and heart and gut, which I guess was at the core of what you were going to ask me, if for me, I have to think in order to have balance in my response to anything. Mm -hmm. And... I have to learn to do that, and I have to choose that intentionally. And you have to do something, and so does your husband. And so it y'all have in common, we're going to respond by doing something, and yet there's this holistic difference in what got you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of you were fields of expertise, are very complex. So, So there's that. And now I'll try to say, and now I will say a bunch of simplistic things. (laughs) It sounds like the Enneagram passion has a correlation with our trauma responses. And it sounds like courage, which by I just these 30 minutes on what courage, the, you know, are you whole? That's incredible for me personally. Selfishly very excited for today already. Um, Me too. Don't you want to kind of take notes? I'm like, yeah, well, I'll get to listen to this like four more times. Yeah. But, well, I may help you edit this one. Uh, um, no. <laughs> Don't want to spend that time with me. Huh? in the kitchen. <laughs> I love this. Um, all right. To get back on focus. 
it seems like by that definition of courage, that the balance in the three centers and bringing up your repressed is the courageous part of bridging that gap. So for you, mm-hmm. it's courageous to bring up thinking to bridge your heart and your gut and your body. For me, it, it is courageous to bring up feeling. It seems to me when people are doing their work across the board, whatever the work is defined, you're working on yourself. When they're, when I'm in a bad spot or when I am just not, just not right, just not whole. It's when I can't come to grips with a feeling aspect of myself. And then there's, all right, so am I going to do the seven stuff, the seven passions, seven ways of reacting to the trauma and blow past it and ignore it and disregard it. Reframe it. Reframe it. Or the courageous thing of, okay, let's get, you know, let's dive into these feelings here and, and what is there and to get to that wholeness. The thing that the Book of Common Courage is giving me is permission to be in the place that isn't whole so I can move to the place that is whole. Yeah. It's not a map for here's where you're going. Here's the pin. Hope you get here. It's I'm giving you permission right now to not be whole. And at the same time, this is a an a a way if you want to be so my favorite so far you know priests you know i'm married to a former priest you know that Mm -hmm. and they have prayer books that at the top rather than having one ribbon for marking things like yours does they have six or seven because they got to mark all these pages for prayers right keep going do you happen to have a copy of of this laying close to you i do yeah if you're about to like read your favorite, you know, having the author read your favorite is pretty sweet. It is really sweet. So it's the to... sweetest thing. So let's do that. Yeah. What page should I go to? It'd be interesting if we had time because I bet you could guess ultimately, but 65. That would have been fun. Let's see what it is. <laughs> it probably won't surprise me. That would have been fun, but thanks for telling me. <laughs> Ooh, Okay. Yeah. Only. I can see why this one resonated. Right. And it's 65 in order to get me to page 67. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Get it? I get it. Like you get me, so you know this, right? Okay. Read those two, would you? Yeah. Because you're so courageous because you actually let the photograph show what you were writing. Yeah, Uh, these are confessions. You know, now that's a thing. Yeah, that's not dressed was, up. We actually we talked about yep. my, and my husband and I talked about because the first one is a confession about how I harmed him. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked like, are you sure you want to put that in right. the book? Right. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I, I And your your nails look lovely. And you said some hard stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first one says I punished Ryan for my insecurity. Yeah, there you go. I swung punches of anger at him instead of placing them as prayers. I did not trust myself. I mean, it goes on. I filled up that whole canvas, by the way. Well, Joe Stabile (laughs) knows how Ryan felt. Okay, go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Because I behaved. Because I have the same confession. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this, by the way, that's the that's the piece of art. That's the base of the piece of art from the ritual that I did. I talk about towards the end of the Lord is my courage. That's what that photo is from. Um, Go. Yeah. I will. uh, This collect prayer is in the context of um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And Peter says, Master, you wash my feet. So then it, here's the prayer Lord, you are the shepherd who is always more ready to serve than we are to be served. Wash us with the water of your welcome. Wipe our imaginations clean of the assumption that we are too dirty to love. May we let you love us down to the dirt under our toenails and the darkness in the crevices of our souls. And so learn the direction of love 
is down. For you are the God who gets on the ground. Want me to read the other one? I do. I'll breathe and you read. Okay. Yeah, you can breathe. Okay. The next page um, is a poem. If God keeps track of your tears and holds them safe in a bottle, then perhaps your pain is precious. Perhaps your tears tell truth. Perhaps you don't have to stop the flow of what God wants to hold as a treasure. Crying is holy. I've got two holy kids. They cry nonstop. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. (laughs) One of the reasons I think this is so important is because I'm working on this teaching that I'm going to do around the Enneagram and the joy and complexities of adoption and fostering. And um, my therapist is coming out of retirement (laughs) because I need him. And for some reason, after 20 years, he likes me um, and is willing. Um, I have asked myself until I got to this page, do I have, this question is in my journal, do I have too many tears that I've cried over adoption? Do I have too many tears that I didn't allow myself to cry? to teach this work well. In other words, am I whole enough to do this work with integrity without self-serving agenda or self-serving questions, all those things? And what this has given me, these words of yours, has given me different things over different pieces of time. But one of the things it gave me is of course you're ready and if you allow yourself to cry think about what you might have to say then and the tears are being held somewhere on your behalf so you can't waste them there can't be too many of them for you to hold if there's not enough of them that's okay you get another chance and I think the whole concept of a friend a child of your own um as joel is to me can hold your tears for you while you keep going in our relationship of choosing intentionally to mentor one another and in my work relationship with my child I can let each of you hold my tears for me so that I can keep moving at times. And I'll hold yours so that you can. Culturally, there's no way that that's considered courage or valuable or necessary or an okay thing to do. And yet it is. It's the only thing to do. I'm I'm really struck by you talking about whole others holding for you um because that is really the the invitation of tears is release like even the physiology of crying the chemicals that are released when we allow ourselves to cry emotional tears are different than if you um you know, start to cry while cutting your onion with dinner tonight. Your body, the the biology of you is about unburdening yourself. And the the invitation of crying is to not have to carry the weight anymore. And the beauty of this God who is with us and this body that we're part of is that we're not just releasing the weight into the ether. We're releasing the weight into the dependable, strong hands of a God who cares and can hold it all. And that 
allows us to dare to trust that it's there's there's a safe place for all of this to go and that perhaps um perhaps i don't have to hold all of this mm-hmm. i think that's the thing like life humbles us right i think you're experiencing that in this season of like there's stuff you can't hold onto anymore in new ways in this season of your life and letting some of it go in a new way is like acknowledging your place like I'm not God I guess we're getting back to the the pride conversation you recently gave me a super helpful Enneagram definition of pride that I have been thinking about a lot um I don't know if you remember what you shared with me but I would imagine I said it's the inability or unwillingness to acknowledge one's own needs and suffering while tending yep. to the needs and suffering of other people. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't think many, I don't, I don't think I had acknowledged pride in that way. Um, and I don't think many people in my life have thought about it in that way either. Right. Like pride isn't just this like self-inflated view of ourselves. It's refusing to let ourselves be needy right yeah and limited and you know the day you told me that I confessed to you I was like (laughs) oh yeah I uh definitely just overdid it and so that was pride (laughs) yeah um but that's what this is I think pride I think uh crying in a sense you know crying is humbling like to to sob Mm -hmm. it's not pretty it's no. usually not pretty. You get all snotty. Yeah. And like people get uncomfortable. That's a good humiliation. I think it's that is a, the physiological release of pride. Like That's tears, fabulous. Yes, it is. Tears are the physiological release of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the weight itself of what we're acknowledging, the griefs, the losses the angst those are precious precious things in our life that um, deserve to be held by one who is trustworthy right god and others so exactly and i sometimes can't get to god when i'm crying but i can get to people i trust yeah same and so the idea that it's not wasted and that I'm not, not courageous. No, it is courageous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the double negative there, I, I kind of did on purpose. I don't know if it worked or not. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> and I, I think there's so much to say about your understanding of courage and wholeness. Because it sounds to me like you're saying it's not just that it takes courage to move toward wholeness, but it takes courage to be whole. And it takes courage to be broken. It's like it's, it's, it's your companion for the journey. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to have a male perspective about what we're saying. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. It's pretty Greek to me. Not from as a male, I don't think, but... You know, when you were talking, I got uncomfortable just you talking about somebody just sobbing. pouring tears and sobbing. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah. That, when you you were like, that makes people uncomfortable. I was like, people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me. This one. <laughs> and so I don't know. I I love the, if I'm not a big poetry person. I, I don't know if you remember uh, you and... um our mutual friend, Meredith, uh, Meredith. Yeah. you know, you are talking about poetry. And, uh, at one point when we were discussing something last summer, maybe, and, and I don't think I knew you clearly knew about the book of common courage in the works. Um, but I remember thinking, I was like, poetry is just not my jam. And, but then within, I feel like the past year between like two of the people that if I were to ever read poet, like get a book of poetry, Two came out, yours and our friend Morgan Harper Nichols, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. books that combined three things. So it wasn't just uh, here's a you know some haikus put together or whatever. Yep. It was prayer, poetry, and art all put together. And I thought I just found that interesting for that one the combination of the three, one the timing of the two books. And the two people that made the books, you being a four, Morgan being a five. And it just seems like the real sweet spot, you know, we talked about trust earlier. I trust what the two of you put in those books as someone who doesn't know shit about poetry or art or prayer for that matter. (laughs) Uh, Having those two books as, like you said, I, I like metaphors. I'm terrible at them, but the, it's not the way to get out of the forest. It's here's something for you while you're in the forest. That's right. It's, mm-hmm. and I, I just, I like it a lot. And, and I'm a part of the group of people who, and I don't know, and if it's an anagram thing or a male thing or, or a Joel thing, you know, combination of all of it clearly, but that I'm, I'm on the other side of tears don't come naturally. And, you know, I don't know the last time I had a real good sob, like I had something challenging happen uh, 10 days ago, we'll say. Yeah, that sounds about right. And and it, it really rocked me. And I let it, I let it rock me for eight days. And I, you know, I thought about it. I did things about, like, and I think I felt about, I, clearly I felt about it because it stuck with me. For eight days. I don't, I've never, I, that's not a, a go-to for me to let something just stay with me like that and really affect me. And I think that's a, it, there was an absence of tears, but maybe that maybe tears would have expedited it. Maybe that's what I need to lean into is that could have been a three day thing with some, with a good <laughs> sob, but. You know, I, I think that, you know, my husband is somebody who he doesn't cry very often and just like every few years he might have big cry um i think it's i feel the need to say for you and for people listening that like tears don't have to be your entry point to release um though you might find as you allow other ways for your body to release that tears become more accessible you know for for Ryan, for my husband, one of his major ways of getting to move through emotion and release the weight is moving his body by exercising. Um, so we bought a rowing machine and he can just pull that out and like have 15 minutes of hard rowing. And that really makes a difference in what he's holding on to. And it's not as a way to like, I don't think we have to rid ourselves of the weight. It's about honoring the hard things that happen and are happening and then to and then to move through to allow it to release. Um so I want to just bless that like the way that you are made is good. <laughs> uh tears are going to come more naturally to me and probably to Suzanne, but like tears don't have to be the the entry point. The point is that all energy is energy in motion. All emotion is energy in motion. It's it's meant to move us. And so we have to enter the stream somehow. And we all are going to have different spots of entry into that current that takes us into more communion and more wholeness. Your entry point into the stream is going to look different than my entry point. The point is that you get wet and you go with the current. (laughs) I like it. And you did. Two things I would say. The first is I talked to you twice. I was with you face-to-face twice in those eight days. And I said one sentence about what it was obvious that you were hurting to you each time. And you did tear up. A tear didn't fall, but you did tear up. And I kept moving. Got it. That's what she said. Keep moving. And that's what I did. You should know that I got really excited and I'm still equally excited. But when I cracked the book and started reading and the first thing it talks about is Coolio, I was like, God, I I love KJ so much. But then it was uh, Scott Scott. Erickson. Yeah. Yes. So uh, (laughs) so I love it. You can't like you can't open it without having the music. 
that song Dude, yeah blood through your mind i love it so for people that are listening to this that was definitely in the intro by the time you're hearing these words uh yes gangster's paradise it, yes you'll hear it whenever you hear it that'll, that'll be suzanne's introduction to coolio <laughs> i love it i think that's hilarious i think it's necessary evidently uh oh and i had some other question besides that I, but I have one thought about what we were just talking about, connecting back to the head, heart, gut, and the like, the need to connect the parts of ourselves that are severed. You were talking earlier about being a seven and like the temptation to just keep intellectualizing things and move around emotion instead of through it. Um, the point I think for all of us is that like, don't live divided anymore. Like there's so much more to you than, than your mind. There's so much more to me than just my feelings. Um, and so courage is this like consent to be a whole person and to allow the, the repressed parts of ourselves actually have a seat at the table and room to tell their stories. Um, and I think that, you know, Suzanne, you were saying like, it's the book of common courage gives you permission to like, be where you are, notice where you're not whole and move towards wholeness. Like the choice to acknowledge where we're actually at that, like maybe one part of me is calling all the shots here. And there's other parts that have been neglected, <laughs> other parts of my being like naming that and is actually the the, the entry point, like acknowledging where I continue to be um, a divided self, where I continue to um, give up my power by trying to be understood externally mm -hmm. when there's like a home inside myself that's safe and good inside my own body. Like that's the entry point um, for all of us. It's just that like my... Uh, my more repressed places are different than your repressed places, Joel, and yours a little bit, Suzanne, not exactly, but a little bit. Um, it's like the acknowledgement of where we're broken is actually the place then that grace enters in. Exactly. Um, and it's such a paradox and there's no way around it. The thing that I want to talk about as we have to close, because time ran out as it so quickly does. Yes, it does. I want to talk about what I want to talk about the next time. And then we'll just schedule it. Perfect. <laughs> I think we live in a culture that insists that we celebrate leaving rather than grieve leaving. Hmm. And there's so much to be said about grieving. So much. And about even grieving great choices that you've made to be more whole. There's still such a necessity for grieving. And one of the things that the new book offers is readings, poetry, photographs, opportunities to help you grieve if you want to, or to give you courage if you want that or to reconnect you to scripture if you need that it's a beautiful beautiful book and it has to do with stopping for you you get it because you have to stop and I wanted to point out that Joel's comment about Morgan's book of poetry coming out and we've both really been fed by both Morgan because of things happening in her life, had to stop. She's moved from the city to the farm. Like, mm -hmm. she has made a significant difference that involves stopping. Now, stopping doesn't mean moving to a farm for everybody. It doesn't mean the same thing to everybody that it does to you. For me, I'm having to slow down because I'm 72. And what I'm just suggesting as we close is that we all have times and seasons and reasons when we have to stop. And most people I know are afraid to. And 
the book of Common Courage will help you. Thank you. Thank you for the book and for friendship and for being who you are and for carefully and with wisdom and grace deconstructing many things and reconstructing many things with an attitude toward health and wholeness. Man, I love these hours. Me too. Okay, we'll send you dates. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the link to sign up if you want to just grab another one. Yeah, just grab one. <laughs> I, I do feel like uh, the grieving 